Hello, everybody, and welcome into this edition of the Sports Detective Podcast. I am your host, James Williams, and today I sit down and talk to Zach Blackerby, the host of the Auburn Locked On Podcast and a publisher at the Auburn Daily, affiliated with Sports Illustrated. And we talk about this Auburn basketball season. How high can this team fly? They are right now currently the fifth team in the country. Do they have Final Four potential? What could potentially hold them back from reaching that potential? How good is Jabari Smith, the number one projected player coming up in this NBA draft? What is his potential at the next level? Walker Kessler averaging five blocks a game. What makes him the best defensive player in the country? All that and more. We also touch on the football team going on in Auburn right now. There's a lot of controversy going on early last month, and or I'm recording this the 1st of March. It's actually January. Was Brian Harson going to stay? Was he on the hot seat? What's going on there? We talk about that a little bit. But first, I want to talk about a few trips I've went on recently. Because recently I went to, let me count them, four NBA games. And I actually really wasn't planning on going it was kind of more what was most convenient in my schedule. But I actually ended up watching a lot of interesting players and interesting teams that are going to be factors coming down the stretch as we head towards the playoffs and even into the playoffs. The most recent game I went to actually was three days ago. It was James Harden's opening game opening night with the Philadelphia 76ers really wasn't planning on that to be the game we bought me and my friend bought the tickets a month in advance before the Harden trade even happened before the rumors even started and it was my first time seeing James Harden person first time seeing Joel Embiid in person and wow that was impressive they are you kind of watch them in those games and the way that they are. I literally, at the end of the game, in the fourth quarter, I was like, well, I'm going to start videotaping. I'm going to start doing videos. Because kind of where we were seating, it really wasn't the pictures. really wouldn't have done that much. So I just recorded videos of plays because Philadelphia was, we were behind the basket where Philly was coming at us. And I think I filmed like six or eight plays, like consecutively, all of them were Philly makes. All of them were Philly makes. It was James Harden step back. It was Embiid on a pick and pop. It was Maxi on a drive. It was all these sorts of things. And the more you look at the landscape of the Eastern Conference where Brooklyn, Kyrie, they, they, they came down where it doesn't look like they're going to change the vaccine mandate. So Kyrie Irving can only play on the road. Ben Simmons doesn't want to play in Philadelphia. It looks like they are going to delay his uh, start until after the game at Philly. So sometime in the middle of March is when he's going to come back. So Brooklyn looks like a non-factor. Milwaukee, a team that I'm going to talk about here in a second, a little bit of concerns there. No Brooke Lopez has kind of analytically brought down their defense. They're not as strong. The Bulls look like an interesting team, but do they have the superstar power to push them I also saw them play I'll get to them here in a second too do they have that uh superstar power to and also they've had some injuries to push them to the next level and you just kind of look up and down this conference Celtics 
they're playing hot, but is that scheduling and kind of time of the season, do they have what it takes to take it to the next level? So you look up and down this conference, and Miami's playing really well, but we'll see. I don't know if I like them in their clutch time. You're just looking at that, and you're looking at Philadelphia, the way Embiid's been playing this year, the way he's been, oddly enough, healthy. I'm going to knock on wood for his health. Harden coming back with his slim fast routine with Tyrese Massey, with Tobias Harris, with George Nian coming off the bench. Um, they just are a deep team. They're a team that plays well together. They have an experienced head coach. They have an experienced roster with a lot of playoff experience. And they have, oddly enough, maybe they might actually have the best one two punch in the NBA now if Harden is still Harden. So. It was really amazing to watch them in person. Harden actually kind of feeds off the negative energy of the crowd. He was getting checked in late in the game, and he was, like, waving his hands up and down or, you know, like, wanting to hear the heckles and the boos. So that was really fun to watch. They're going to be a really fun team. I also saw Giannis in Milwaukee. Saw the championship banner. Giannis scored 50 in that game. That was incredible to watch. He has entered another zone where he can just take over a game. And he just knows that, like, like he, it's kind of, it's so, it's something that, it's so easy to say, but until you're in these games over and over and over and over and over again for hundreds of games, you really don't understand how to do it. And even some people never understand how to do it. But Giannis, you could just tell he was like, oh, I'm the biggest person on the court tonight. It was against the Pacers, too, by the way. I'm the biggest person on the court. No one can guard me. In the fourth quarter, he was just like, I'm just driving it to the basket every single time. That's what he was doing down the stretch. He's like, I'm just driving it to the basket every single time. And he was unstoppable. Drew Holiday looked really good. Middleton's really good. I saw Tyrese Halliburton. I'll just touch on him here. He's an Iowa State guy, so I obviously have a lot of experience with him. It was dumb. Not not necessarily that Tyrese Halliburton is going to be a Hall of Famer and a 10-time All-NBA guy one day. I'm not even sure if he'll be like a 10-time or a 5-time All-Star, in my opinion. Other people might think differently. I might have, I might just not want to set the bar that high because he's a cyclone and I don't want to like get really high expectations for him and then have him underachieve those expectations. But he's the reason that it was dumb for Sacramento to trade him is one, he actually wanted to be in Sacramento. And two, he's just a good dude. <laughs> like he's a really good dude. I was at the game in Milwaukee. His parents were there. And I know that they were his parents because I saw them at an Iowa state game two years ago. He's just a good kid that was brought up the right way. There, There is not a single person with Iowa State or in Ames that can say a single bad thing about him. He's not even just the fact of his character as a person, but how he is as a basketball player, too, where his freshman year at Iowa State, I didn't even know he could dribble. Like, that's how off the, much off the ball that he was and now he's a point guard in the NBA so it was really dumb to get rid of him he looked pretty good in that game he's gonna fill out really nicely he's still kind of thin he's still pretty young and kind of thin he's gonna fill out nicely but yeah I 
Milwaukee, they just need to if, – if Lopez can come back and if they can kind of get more consistency out of their guard play, that's really the thing that's holding them back. I also saw the Bulls against the Spurs. DeRozan was awesome in that game. What happened to guys – I understand, like, hey, if you're injured and you're out for, like, let's say six weeks or something – you know, skip out on this seven-day road trip or something. I understand that. But if it's a home game, why aren't Zach Levine and Lonzo Ball in attendance? Zach Levine's making close to $30 million a year. I think Lonzo's making $20 million a year. That's $50 million that's hurt, and they can't come to the game and sit on the bench. Caruso was hurt too, but Caruso was there, and Caruso was on the bench actually coaching other people. I, I guess that's just the NBA culture and – you know, maybe they had reasons. Maybe they're doing treatment, whatever. Um, you know, and two, if you have that kind of sway and you aren't that talented, sometimes you do get a little bit more of a leash in, you know, things that you need to do or have to do or whatever. So, but DeRozan was awesome. Uh, you kind of got, like, DeJounte Murray, too. I'll speak on him for a little bit. He was, sometimes you can just tell just little things that guys do like that. You're like, Oh, that's why that guy's like really good. And that's why that guy's an all-star Murray has just like that elite guard quickness that only like the 1% of guards in the NBA have. And he's a really, you know, passive player or not passive, but he's very willing to pass the ball. So he's not going to put up a lot of like heavy stats or something, but he's a really talented player. DeRozan was awesome. Um, that's Chicago Arena, too. That's probably was the best crowd I was at out of all of them. Uh, they really like their team, and I think they're going to make a good playoff run. I guess the last game I went to, not much to note about this game. It was the Oklahoma City and Minnesota game. It was in January, and which I, I saw Minnesota twice on this. wasn't a trip, but twice this year towns looked yoked and you could tell that he put in a lot of effort and time this off season to really work on his body and to get in better shape and to become the best version of himself. And that's why he's maybe going to make an all NBA team and why along with that, along with the coaching upgrade that they made, was it last year or the year before? I think it was last year getting in that new coach and you can tell that a lot of guys are buying in now. D'Angelo Russell's buying. D'Angelo Russell actually looks pretty good, uh, despite people saying that he's a horrible contract. He's a really good offensive player. Defensively, he still kind of lapses at times, but he's a pretty good player. Anthony Edwards, he was horrible in the Philly game that I went to. But in the Oklahoma City game I went to in January... You could just tell he's kind of has like that magnetic personality that you understand why he became the number one pick because people were probably just around him and were like, this guy's awesome. He's just awesome to be around. He's just kind of fun. And you can see that kind of in post-game press conferences at times. He's just fun to be around. He's super athletic. I believe in that Oklahoma City game, I think he hit like five first quarter threes or something. He just didn't miss. And I was sitting next to my dad. My dad was like, who the heck is this guy? What like is he get and I was sitting there I'm like, oh my god, are we gonna see like an Anthony Edwards like fifty point game? 
are we going to see something like an impactful moment in his career? No, he's, I think he got in the 20s. I mean, I've gotten to 30. Not really too much to take home about that game. Um, but yeah, that was it. Those were my NBA trips that I went on the last few weeks. And uh, just glad to share it with you. I don't know if that was interesting at all. Just a few things that I noticed in person. Also, Giannis in person. Because I don't think I reflect on this. He is like, you can see it on TV with his muscles and his arms. He he's the, He's the biggest person on the court when he's on the court. Like, he's just huge. He is huge. And I've seen him in person before. I think I saw him in the preseason before his first MVP season. So I've seen him before, but he's just, he's unlocked something else. And it'll be interesting to see what happens come playoff time because there's a chance that he can just, you know, just take over games on that level that we've only seen very few people in NBA history ever take over games. So he's also, his jump shot looks good. Like he can shoot pretty well and I'm not worried. It's not like you obviously don't want him taking 10 threes a game, but when he takes them and he hits them, it's like, whoa, that actually looked really good coming out of his hand versus kind of like earlier in his career. It looked kind of clunky. Now it looks really smooth. So those are my NBA trips. Uh, Hope you guys enjoyed that little monologue open. I just did on that. But without any further ado, here is our conversation with Zach Blackerby. <laughs> Joining us is Zach Blackerby, host of Locked On Auburn podcast, publisher at the Auburn Daily, Auburn SI. Uh, Zach, let's start here. I was going to talk about basketball, but the football program is on fire. The house is burning. At least that's how it looks like from the outside. What's going on with the football program? Is Brian Harson safe? What's going on? I think he's safe right now, James. I appreciate you having me on. You know, we went through this two-week saga or so where, you know, talking to folks close to the program, asking them, like, is it as bad as it looks? And, you know, them looking me in the eyes, saying it may be worse. Uh, that was down at the Senior Bowl when we were down in Mobile. And, you know, he went down to watch Roger McCreary practice on the first day and then had some media availability afterwards. And then the next day, you started hearing that reports are, you know, they're trying to raise money for his buyout. And, um, you know, now they're trying to find cause. And it was like a week and a half of that. And then eventually Auburn kind of said, okay, all right, we're, we're behind Brian Harson. <laughs> and so ever since then, James, it seems like Brian Harson has changed his tune a little bit. During the midst of all that, I said that the best case scenario in all this for Auburn would be for Brian Harson to come out of this, still be the head coach, to be retained, and to change his PR and messaging because I, I I don't think he's really revealed himself to the fans. And Auburn's a fan base where, you know, they really push the Auburn family. That's something that's important to them. And, and then the other side of it is recruiting. You know, finishing 18th in the recruiting is not good enough at Auburn. It's not good enough for any SEC school if you want to compete. And if you take out one of those top guys, I mean – uh, he's a basketball player. So really, you know, Auburn finished around 22 or so. So not even a top 20 class. So you got to fix that. And since then, the strategy has changed and they've cast a wider net on the recruiting side of things. And uh, I think he's made some pretty good hires to his coaching staff as well. Part of me with him, it it feels like, 
I feel kind of sorry for him because it just feels like the writing on the wall is that he's going to get fired next season. That's just what it seems like. It just seems like just things haven't gotten off to the best start unless something like, I, I feel like he could go like seven and five next year and he's still going to be canned. But you feel like with him, if he would have just, because he was at Boise State before he goes to Auburn, right. if he stays at Boise State for like the last season, then all of these like West Coast Pac-12 jobs, which frankly are just, you have, you might not make as much money, but they're, well, I mean, in some cases you might, cause like, yeah, you might. Yeah. Like, like he could have been the, like, I think he'd be a better candidate at Washington now than who they ended up hiring. So, and, and his name was tied to Washington. His name was tied to Oregon. Um, there's a little bit of buzz with, with the US, USC stuff. And I don't, I don't think that ever really took off, but you know, and, and there's some folks that reported that he interviewed for those jobs. I don't know if I, I never could get that confirmed, but you know, the, the, the conversation was that he was linked to Washington and Oregon. And I think you're right. If he's still the head coach at Boise State, maybe he does get that. But you don't know that. I mean, it, it Harson was frustrated with Boise because, you know, he wanted them to get into the Power Five conference. And, you know, I think the appeal of competing at the highest level in the SEC was attractive to him. At least that's what he said at his opening press conference a million times. But, yeah, you're right. You're right. I mean, is he, is he just kind of, you know, a, a, lame dunk, a lame duck head coach? I don't think he is, James, because I think winning fixes everything. And I think if Auburn goes seven and five, that means they beat a team or two. They're probably not supposed to. Um, eight and four, I definitely think he's safe. Seven and five is interesting. Seven and five is an interesting one because if he could go seven and five with the current state of Auburn's roster, that means he did a really, really good job as a head coach. And whether he developed talent or, you know, found out some kind of scheme that worked with his personnel he would be one of the better coaches in the conference if he were to pull that off. Now, the powers that be at Auburn and the boosters and the folks with money, are they still going to want him out? Maybe. Maybe so. So, I mean, it, it's impossible to say. Um, I think your assumption is, is accurate and logical and correct. But still, I mean, if you win some certain games and you're not supposed to, I think a lot will be forgiven. Did Bruce Pearl's big contract extension did that say brian harson's job i don't know <laughs> he, i don't he know money for the buyout for bruce pearl <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah you know and i said this while the the brian harson's a little bit before the brian harson stuff really started happening is like man i think he should be thankful for bruce pearl and this wasn't even before this was before uh pearl got his extension because i was like you know if if Auburn fans were fully focused on everything that was happening with football, I think they'd be a lot more frustrated. But at this time of the year, they're focused on basketball now, which normally they would be focused on recruiting and things like, like that. But at the time, they had a, a number two slash number one ranked team in, in the country on the basketball court. And so they were focused on that. I, I think they were able to kind of turn their gaze away from what was happening with football. So in that sense, Bruce Pearl may have helped Brian Harson. The money side of it, I mean, when you talk about finances with, you know, SEC programs, like it's like the money isn't a real number. Like they have access to so much of it, whether, you know, it's through the athletics department or they just have, you know, boosters that are ready to divvy up whatever's needed. I mean, it's just so they have access, James, to just so much money. <laughs> they have their own treasury. It seems like it. Yeah, Totally. But it seems like Auburn might be transitioning into a basketball school now. Not, not the best basketball history of Charles Barkley in the 80s and then 
Bruce Pearl comes along this decade. About it. Yeah. Right. Takes him to a final four a few years ago. Obviously, this team is probably, at least on paper, maybe the best team in the regular season so far that the school has ever had in its history. Obviously, you know, we're ranked number one uh, for a few weeks there, still in the top five. Yeah. A little bit of a slide here the last six games, three and three the last six games. Is there a chance that this team might have peaked too early? Have teams kind of figured out how to play them a little bit? Uh, what's going on with these recent struggles? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely that's definitely a concern, right? You definitely want to peak towards the later part of the year, which is what Bruce Pearl has been so good at during his Auburn tenure. Even before Auburn was a tournament team, they still were playing their best ball going into the SEC tournament. And a lot of Auburn folks are concerned. Um, I don't think it's as big of a deal, James. And when you look at the SEC standings right now, it, it's kind of crazy look at what some of these numbers are. When you look at the top 10 teams, 10 of the 14 SEC teams, Auburn is 15-0 at home. Arkansas is 16-1 at home. Kentucky 17-0. Tennessee is 15-0 at home. Alabama is 13-2 at home. LSU is 14-2 at home. Florida is 12-4. And, um, and Mississippi State is 14-2, which is where Auburn plays on Wednesday. But it's just so hard to win at somebody else's arena in the SEC. And you look at the road records in the SEC. There are two teams in the entire conference when you can say that the SEC is arguably the best conference in college basketball right now. There are two teams with a winning record on the road. Two. Auburn is seven and three. Then there's a big drop off to Arkansas, who was five and three. And there's a there's two teams that are five and five, you know, at five hundred, and then everybody else has a losing record on the road. And so Auburn has lost. Uh, a few games on the road here as of late and folks are concerned about it, but at Auburn is, you know, the narrative all season has been Bruce Pearl team struggle away from Auburn arena. But when you look at those numbers, like, is that actually true? I mean, sure. They're not as good away from home, but also like no one else is, and they're better away from home than anybody else is in the sec based on wins and losses. And so um, I'm not too concerned about it the guard play needs to get a little bit better and, you know, they need to kind of play like they were a month or two ago. But as far as this recent skid, I think they have time for it all to come back together uh, in the next few weeks. Speaking of guard play, you look at the Auburn, this Auburn team, you obviously have Jabari Smith, who looks like he's going to be the first pick in the NBA draft. You've Walker right. Kessler, the UNC transfer who blocks like a shot, like every single play. It feels like that guard play that you're talking about, that might be the thing that holds this team back from, you know, going to the final four national championship versus being knocked out in the sweet 16 by a, you know, a team that just gets hot with their guards. Is that something that's really concerning or much to do about nothing? Uh, I mean, I, I think, I think if you're going to pick how this Auburn team ends, it's probably going to be as far as the guards take them. So um, I, I think that's a great assessment, man. Uh, and when you, when you look at this team at the beginning of the season, it was a guard carry team because Kessler, you know, he was a transfer from UNC and, you know, he was still kind of getting comfortable playing um, with his new squad. And Jabari Smith is an 18 year old and he was getting used to the speed of the college game and all that. And so you saw all these, these transfers come in with Zepp Jasper and Katie Johnson and Wendell Green Jr. And they all have different strengths and they all have different weaknesses. And you saw them rotate 
perfectly at the start of the season. And it really kind of covered up a lot of what was happening as far as this gelling that was needed with this virtually brand new roster that Bruce Pearl had. And over the course of the season, you've seen them all go cold over the last month. And there would always be, you know, a strength of this team would be, okay, Auburn's got 10 dudes and they only need one dude to be hot every single night. And that was happening. And they've all gone cold over the last month. And I just have a hard time believing that's going to continue to be a thing for the next few weeks. I, I just have a hard time buying it. Okay. One thing too, it's kind of like, like guard play. It just seems like in the NCL tournament, that's just like some teams just have good guard. Like that's how Baylor won last year is they just right, had right. like these really good guards that just, you know, were able to just dominate the tournament. And then that was kind of the difference. They got drew Temme and a bunch of pick and rolls in the national championship game. Is there a chance like Jabari Smith? Mm -hmm. So he's obviously you watch him and you're like, Oh my God, that's like, that's something that's really, really unique. Is there a chance that he can just go like insane and with Walker Kessler playing defense and the guard play just being so, so is that even just enough with him being so great to, you know, take this team to the final four? I think in theory, yeah, absolutely. And look, Auburn's going to be one of the better defending teams in the tournament. I mean, their, their guard play, they've gone cold on offense, but on defense, they're still, you know, they're shut down defensively. All three of them are really, really good. And a lot of that's an effort thing. But can Jabari be enough to carry them? I think so. I think so. I, I think just the question is, if you get to, the, you know, the Sweet 16 matchup and you're playing like a four seed or something, and it's like, can, can you know, if they're hotter than you, can you go blow for blow with them if they're just shooting lights out from three? Can you do that? And right now, the answer is no. Auburn needs to make these games as ugly as possible until they start shooting better and just really force people to be as uncomfortable as they possibly can defensively. And yeah, just hope Jabari can, can, can make it happen. You've seen, though, over this slump where they've really been able to, to double-team Jabari Smith and he's still finding ways to score, you know, I think he's averaging like 25 points a game over the last month, which is what you want. That's what you want from your lottery pick. Um, but still, it, in the NCAA tournament, it's usually these seniors that step up. That's just historically what you see. Baylor last year with Davion Mitchell. I mean, it's just an older guy that has been through it, and it all just kind of came together and clicked. Can Auburn do that with the only senior on their team is Zep Jasper? They're a young basketball team. And to me, I think that's a bigger concern is do you want to rely on the 18 year old when your season matters most? Jabari may be an exception, but I, I just can't imagine that's something that excites Bruce Pearl. Staying with Jabari here. He's obviously going to be a one and done probably first pick first or second pick in the NBA draft. Yeah. I feel like when you focus on one team, and you just you watch them over and over again and if, especially if you're a fan if you're an alumni you just you pick up on more things that other people outside like just don't is there something that you can tell us that Jabari either does says his attitude little things he does on the court that make him just truly unique uh you know it's something you're just going to remember about him for the next 20 years I mean, you talk to these NBA players and you hear interviews with these NBA guys. And I don't think people fully understand how much you have to love basketball to go pro in basketball. I think with other sports, you can kind of 
Uh, I, I don't want to say coast on just talent and ability, but with basketball, it just seems to be like a different type of game. And you have to wake up in the morning and go shoot hoops. And then while you're recovering and resting, you need to be watching film and studying tendencies. And then, all right, you're rested. You go out and shoot hoops some more and do some drills. And then you go to practice. Jabari's a dude doing that. And he's been doing that since he was like 12 years old, it seems like. And, you know, he, his dad is a former player and he's been able to really um, he's been able to really kind of help teach him what that mentality is. But I think it's just his approach to the game. And I know that's a cliche answer because everybody kind of says that and everybody wants to work hard. But it's just a different level. And, you know, I mean, we all we have all seen those interviews with like Kobe Bryant where he wanted to shoot 800 shots before practice or whatever. Um, and I don't know if it's at that level, but you just see a different gear in these dudes when they realize, okay, this is what it takes to get to the NBA. And it helps to be 6'10". And it helps to have, you know, seven foot long arm span and all that. But I mean, the work ethic that has gone into everything that he's done is pretty incredible. Walker Kessler averaging 4.7 blocks a game this year has 10 games this season where he has six or more blocks. Was this expected? Cause it, he really didn't play much at UNC last year. He's a really high recruit coming out of high school, maybe a little bit out of shape last year. Is this like a pleasant surprise seeing what he's been doing this year? Because, I mean, Jabari Smith's the NBA guy, but really the the guy that's giving you like the head-scratching statistics is uh, Walker Kessler. Yeah, I mean, you can make the argument he's the best defensive player in college basketball right now with those numbers. And those numbers don't even count the the shots that he impacts. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's so many folks that get down to the basket. He may not get a finger on the ball, but like, you know, it's a bad shot and and he forced that. So – uh, no, and Bruce Pearl was asked this a few weeks ago. I was like, did you expect this? And he said, he laughed. He's like, no, I mean, I, he expected him to be good, but he didn't expect him to be this great. Um, and, and it's been cool to see his footwork has been the thing that has really just developed so much. And we've seen that uh, throughout the season. I mean, he wasn't just some tall guy that can block shots, but, you know, early in the season, Bruce Pearl talked about how he was the best player in the country while he was in the air, both on offense and defense whether it was blocking shots or, you know, kind of having the presence to get it in the rim from just a few feet away. But his footwork has really stepped up over the course of it. I mean, he's developed some really solid post moves and able to kind of do that juke where the, the defender leaves his feet and then he's able to kind of pivot around and, and get the easy bucket. That, to me, has been the biggest surprise. You know, and just talking to NBA draft people over the last few weeks, uh, they think Kessler is a, a first-round pick now which is amazing um, to, to think because the storyline going into the season with Kessler was cool. Auburn got this seven footer that can shoot threes. And he started the season like one of 17 from three, if I remember correctly, like it wasn't good. And then like the middle 10 games of the season, you saw him just not shoot threes at all. And now you're starting to see him do it a little bit more and it's still not pretty. I still don't like it when he does it, but um, he's doing it a, a slightly higher clip. But that's kind of the, the big thing you're hearing from Auburn folks now. It's like, if he can come back, can he possibly, you know, develop the three and maybe the NBA will like him more. And I'm like, nah, I, I, don't, I don't think you're keeping him, Auburn fans. Sorry about that. But um, it's been a huge surprise. I mean, he's been, he's been outstanding. And you can make the argument he's probably the best transfer um, that we saw in the portal last year now of having the information we have now. That's definitely a really tough front court here against Kessler at seven one and Jabari at six ten. That's taller Gosh. than like 
that's just you're just going to win some games to the tournament just because of size at that point the last thing here sometimes you as you focus on you know your team and you're playing every team in the sec is there a few i you have the sec is actually when you look at it, it's actually kind of a deeper conference than you think of because mm-hmm. uh, you have auburn made a final four recently Arkansas was in the elite eight last year. Kentucky's Kentucky. Uh, you know, Rick Barnes is doing his thing at Tennessee. NATO to Alabama has been really good. Uh, the gangster himself, Will Wade's actually having a decent season. Florida's always been uh, pretty decent. Is there maybe one team in that conference right now that we could look up in March and like, wait a minute, how is this team in the elite eight? Is there some teams that like, you know, just really could just kind of jump out out of nowhere and make a decent uh, tournament run other than Auburn? Uh, I think Kentucky and Arkansas will make it farther in March than Auburn does right now. I, I think they're both red hot. I think Arkansas, I mean, you look at the teams they've beaten they're recently, hot. you can say that they're the hottest team in the SEC. I think if you're doing a power rankings right now, I'd probably put Arkansas at one, Kentucky at two, Tennessee at three, and Auburn at four. That's, that's just kind of where I would put it. Um but yeah, I mean, as far as I don't see anyone deeper than that going, you could definitely make the argument for Alabama just because the teams that they've played. I mean, when they've really needed to turn it on, they've been able to. They just can't be consistent. Can they do it for three games in a row? Like, probably not. And you got to win six in a row, obviously, to win a national championship. So, um, but you know, if when you look at SEC teams that could be in the Sweet 16, I think it could be all five of those teams could possibly be there for the sweet 16. That's saying, a lot. I, and I don't, I don't think that's crazy to say either. That's saying a lot. The team I've been looking at in the big 12, that's just, I think they'll kind of, maybe not come out of nowhere is Texas tech. And that's more just being good. Oh gosh. They're really good. They kicked Iowa state's butt when we went down there and then they've been, they've been crazy every time Chris Beard's come and they've been, they're just, they're just tough, man. Um, yeah. Watch them against Texas a few weeks ago. And like that was uh, that was billed as a really really big game, and yeah they um, they they took it to them for sure. Watch, watch the fans just harass Chris Beard, <laughs> as they should. They absolutely should do that. They should. I don't think they're ever gonna let it go. Chris Beard is like thrilled he's going to the SEC now. <laughs> yeah, give me away from Texas Tech. <laughs> give me out of that conference. All right, Zach, uh, can you tell us uh, where we can find your stuff and how we can follow what you're doing? Yeah, Locked On Auburn is available wherever you get your podcast. And look, we have a Locked On for virtually every team. And so uh, if you're a fan of a specific team, go and uh, go and check out Locked On, whatever the team name is. And uh, yeah, I write for, uh, about Auburn stuff at uh, AuburnDaily.com. That is Sports Illustrated's um, Auburn coverage. So yeah, that's AuburnDaily.com. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Zach. Hey, thanks, dude. Okay, that's going to do it for the podcast today. Uh, thank you, Zach Flackerby, for coming on and giving us some insight to the Auburn basketball and football programs. Uh, thank you, guys. Thanks to the listeners for listening, even though I went on a hiatus. And listening to me talk about the basketball trips I went on, I probably could have talked about those for like an hour and given a lot more detail on it. But I figure I just do try and sum it up and – 12 minutes or something i have no idea if it was interesting um if you didn't care for that at all just hopefully you just fast forward it went to the interview that we had with zach that was probably a lot more interesting and more insightful and you probably learned a lot more in that but 
Either way, uh, thanks for listening. Uh, please go rate, review, subscribe, follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram, JWS Detective, and uh, stay tuned to the feed because I'm hoping to come back sometime later this week with more basketball and more sports fun. So, as always, I will see you next time. Thank <laughs> you.